We're in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 7 is where we'll find our text this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 7. We've just two short verses of Scripture to read. Verses 6 and verses, or 3 verses actually, 6 through 8, 6, 7 and 8. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, 7 and 8. Where Moses writes, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because ye were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. We trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. The author Mark Twain wrote concerning the Jews in 1899, The Egyptian, the Babylonian, and the Persian rose, filled the planet with sound and splendor, then faded to dream stuff and passed away. The Greek and the Roman followed and made a vast noise, and they are gone. Other people have sprung up and held their torch high for a time, but it burned out, and they sit in twilight now or have vanished. The Jew saw them all, beat them all, and is now what he always was exhibiting no decadence, no infirmities of age, no weakening of his parts, no slowing of his energies, no dulling of his alert and aggressive mind. All things are mortal but the Jew. All other forces pass, but he remains. What is the secret of his immortality? What a question. What is the secret of his immortality. Understand that when you set your face against the Jewish people, that you're setting your face against a company of people who are unquestionably immortal. Tolstoy said of the Jew, the Jew is the symbol of eternity. He is the one who for so long had guarded the prophetic message and transmitted it to all mankind. A people such as this can never disappear. The Jew is eternal. He is the embodiment of eternity. Well, last Sunday morning we considered Israel as a place. We thought about the significance of the land. But now I want you to consider this Sunday morning the Jews as a people. There is no race of people upon the earth like the Jews. Churchill said of them, some people like the Jews and some do not. But no thoughtful man can deny the fact that they are, beyond any question, the most formidable and the most remarkable race which has appeared in the world. The people of Israel, friends, are an eternal people. We call them God's 
chosen people, for so they are. You know, when we were children growing up, and certainly when I was a child growing up, one of the battle cries that I learned at my father's knee was this, we are the people. He would cry it out, we are the people. And I used to think to myself, well, what does that mean? You know, I didn't understand it as a child. And indeed, I doubt that my father fully understood what he was saying. But I understand now what he was saying. He was saying that the Protestant people are the chosen of God, that the church had replaced Israel, and we are the people. Well, I've come to learn that we are not the people. But they are. The Jews are the people. And I want you to see this morning that they are holy, that they are chosen, that they are treasured, and that they are eternal. I want you to think about their roots this morning. It is said and rightly so that Abraham was the first Jew and the father of the nation. But it was Abraham's grandson Jacob who gave his name to the nation of Israel. You'll recall at at Peniel, uh, Jacob uh, was experienced a theophany. He encountered Christ. He had a physical encounter with God when he wrestled with an angel. The consequence of this encounter was that Jacob was left with a limp, that his sinew shrunk in his thigh, and he limped from that day forward. Uh, But the other consequence was that this battle left his descendants with a legacy. Let's go back to chapter 32 for a moment of Genesis and revise that little text there, beginning in verse 24. Genesis chapter 32 says, And Jacob was left alone, verse 24, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And Jacob said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. He said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thy power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And he passed over Penuel, the sun, and as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. Notice why that Jacob's name was changed. It says in verse 28 that as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And so his name was changed to Israel. And the name Israel means God prevails. So we can say that to begin with, Israel began with one man, Abraham, and then with his son Jacob. And now Jacob goes on, he has 
12 sons, so we move into a family situation. 15 times in Scripture, Jacob's sons are referred to as the children or the sons of Israel. And we know what happened to them. We've just been through all of this. On Sunday mornings in our studies in Genesis, they followed Jacob into Egypt, having sold their brother into slavery there. They ultimately end up under the custody of their brother, under the care of their brother, and they remain in Egypt until their dying day. And en route to Egypt, Jacob sacrifices before the Lord and he receives a vision in which he is assured that the journey upon which he is embarking is in the heart of God's will. It was the right thing. And he is told, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. Notice that. Began with one man, then a family, and then a nation. And as you proceed through Scripture, you find that this nation is protected of God. Abraham is told that they will go into Egypt for 400 years, but at the end of that time, in providence, God will deliver them. And so he does. He raises up a Savior in the form of Moses, and Moses leads the people of Israel out of Egypt throughout the Exodus. But what's significant is this. By the time Moses appears on the scene, this family of 12 sons has now increased to a nation of up to 6 million people. When you see the Exodus, understand this is a mass movement of people. This was not just a a scout party. This was an entire nation mobilized and moved from Egypt and brought into the land of promise which God had covenanted to give them even as we spoke about last Sunday morning. Look at Exodus chapter 19 for me for a moment. Exodus chapter 19, just before the giving of the commandments. Exodus chapter 19, and I want you to see verse 6. Notice the comment that is made in verse 6. This is the Lord speaking. He says to Moses, And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And then if you'll just go forward a little bit to chapter 33 of that book and verse 13. I want you to see that these people, this nation, was designated by God as the people of of God. Chapter 33 and verse 13 <coughs> says, Now therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. Now there's their roots. There's their roots. You know, if you were to listen to modern historians, you'd get the idea that Israel was just a nation that appeared out of nowhere. That on May 14th, 1948, this artificial nation was created. These people came from Europe and they occupied Palestinian land and they chased the natives off the land and they took control of a territory that wasn't theirs to begin with. My friends, that's an absolute lie. There has never been, and you can check it out in the history books, 
There has never been in all of history such a thing as a nation of Palestine. It has never existed in, at any point in time. But there has surely been a nation of Israel. And it is rooted, not in 1948, but going back some uh, 4,000 years from here. Back to the time of Abraham. Back to the time of Jacob. Back to the time of the sons of Jacob. Back to the time of the Exodus. Back to that time when Joshua ultimately leads millions of people across the Jordan into the land that was promised to them to take their inheritance and to dwell there. And so they're a chosen nation. I want you to get that this morning. Israel is a nation, and as a nation chosen by God, has a very unique relationship with him. Let's go back to our opening text in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Let's look at these few verses again, beginning in verse 6. And I want you to notice the language. I want you to notice the description that God makes of the Jewish people. He says, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people. For ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You see that? They have been chosen as God's covenant people. This is a sovereign act of God. It was a matter of God's grace. You know, they weren't chosen because they were the first or the oldest of the nations or even because they were the greatest of the nations, but they were chosen that God might develop his plan through them. And in that respect, we say to you this morning with great assurance, four truths hang over this nation. Four things can be said about this nation that can be said about no other nation upon the face of the earth. The first thing I want you to see is in verse 6, it says they are a holy people, for thou art an holy people. Now, when we say that they're an holy people, we're not saying here that they are uh, sanctified spiritually. We're not saying that they're a, a saved people. Uh, but we're saying that as a nation, you know, as opposed to individuals, as a nation, God has separated them from all other nations unto himself. That's what we're saying. And this he did when he singled out Abraham and his descendants to be the recipients of the blessing of the covenant that he made with Abraham. Abraham, uh, Israel is the only nation uh, on earth chosen by God to carry out his plan. Now in describing the people of Israel, the scriptures employ an interesting Hebrew word, a very simple word. It's a word that you'll be able to remember. It's a word that we use even in English, but in a different way. It's the word am, A-M. That's the Hebrew word. And it simply means people. And it signifies the unity of this people. 
and how they are uh, interrelated to the Lord. In other words, it refers to the people as a congregated unit. Not individuals, but a people. They're a holy people. A holy unit. A holy group. You know, Deuteronomy chapter 7 here in verse 6, we counter the phrase Am Kadosh, a holy people. Three times in verse 6 does God refer to them as a people. In Deuteronomy chapter 26 and verse 18, you see the same thing where the Lord refers to them as Am Segula. In chapter 26 and verse 18, it says, The Lord hath avouched thee this day to be his peculiar people, as he hath promised thee. What does it mean they're a peculiar people? Well, if you were to look up that word peculiar, you'd find that it means treasured. That God treasures these people. That his blessing rests on them in particular. In Isaiah chapter 62, if you want to look there for a moment. Isaiah chapter 62 and verse 12. says, and they shall call them, Isaiah 62, 12, and they shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and thou shalt be called sought out, a city not forsaken. What a description of Israel, of the Jewish people, and of the city of Jerusalem. The Jewish people are called the holy people. They're called the redeemed of the Lord. The city is called sought out. God has sought out this city. It's a city not forsaken. Daniel, if you look there for a moment, chapter 8 and verse 24. Daniel chapter 8 and verse 24. You see, we must garner our understanding of Israel, not from the news headlines, not from the BBC or ITN or Channel 4 or some other news outlet, but we must garner our worldview from the Word of God. We must understand what the Bible says about these people. It says in chapter 8 and verse 24, And his power shall be mighty. Uh, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice, and he shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. That's speaking of Antichrist. They're described as a holy people throughout, from Genesis to Revelation. Here is a nation distinguished by God from all other nations. They're a holy people. That's what we mean when we say that, that, we say that of them. Not that they're especially uh, godly. We're not saying that they're all saved. But we're saying that as a nation, they are set apart from other nations. We're not talking about individuals. We're talking about a nation. And Scripture differentiates between the children of Israel and the seed of Abraham. The children of Israel are those physical descendants of Abraham who inherit the promises of the Abrahamic covenant. The seed of Abraham are the redeemed of the Lord. So when we say that they're a chosen nation, a holy people, we're not speaking about individual salvation, but the election of that nation. And what makes this nation different? What separates them from all other nations is the fact that they are a covenant people. And I shared with you last Sunday morning how that when uh, Benjamin Netanyahu was addressing this present war in Hamas, he says, this isn't a war that began on October the 7th. He says, this is a war that began 4,000 years ago. He took it back to the Abrahamic covenant. 
And you see, here's the thing. God has entered into arrangements with the Jewish people that he has not entered into with any other people. A number of years ago, I was preaching in the United States of America. And as I was about to leave, my friend, another pastor friend, gave me a book. And he says, you need to read this book. It's really interesting. And the book was called The Harbinger by a fellow called, uh, called uh, Jonathan Kahn, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. And uh, Jonathan Kahn uh, professes to be a messianic uh, believer. And so uh, I took the book with me. I had an eight-hour flight, so I had plenty of time to read the book. And I began to read this book on the flight home from the United States. And as I read this book, you know, it was very interesting. It was about the 9-11 attacks uh, it was about uh, how there were some parallels between the events of 9-11 and certain scriptures that Jonathan Kahn was uh, bringing out. And he begins to, uh, it's a novel, the book is a novel, but it begins to build a case for the United States of America being covenanted to God. And he describes America's founding fathers as, and I quote, those who laid America's foundations, seeing it as the new Israel, an Israel of the new world, and as it was with ancient Israel, they saw it as in covenant with God. Now, that may or may not be how the founding fathers of the United States saw it, but the reality is there's only one nation that has ever been in covenant with God, and that nation is Israel. Through his unconditional covenant with Abraham, God promised him an offspring, promised to honor his name, promised him a land, and promised him blessing. God made no such promises to the United States of America. He made no such promises to the United Kingdom. He made no such promises to any other nation. God's commitment is to the nation of Israel. Get that, friend. I want you to get that because I want, and I'll be honest with you, this is a minority view. You know, preaching this, I guarantee you there's not many churches in this land that are preaching this this morning. There's not many pastors who'll stand with me on this point this morning. But that's where we stand. And we stand here because the Word of God tells us that this nation is a holy nation. Look what the Lord says in Genesis 17 and verse 8. Notice the promise. Notice the covenant. This is the Abrahamic covenant being confirmed and and made everlasting. In Genesis chapter 17 and verse 6, the Lord says, I will make thee exceeding fruitful. And I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan. By the way, do you realize that all the land of Canaan includes the Gaza Strip? The Gaza Strip is part of the land of Canaan. God says, I'm going to give it all to you. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. That's God's personal commitment to that nation. They alone are set apart. They alone are sanctified to that end. Look at Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus chapter 26. 
Leviticus chapter 26, and we're going to read verse 12. Notice what God says of this nation. Verse 12 of Leviticus 26. And I will walk among you and will be your God and ye shall be my people. That's the idea of them being a holy people, a holy nation. God says you will be my people, my people. So Israel is a holy people, a people like no other that are specifically set apart to the purposes of Jehovah. They're also a chosen people, according to our reference in Deuteronomy 7, 6. It says, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord, listen to what he says, thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself. You know, one of the prayers that is prayed every day by Orthodox Jews goes this way and reflects this truth. They pray, Thou hast chosen us from all peoples. Thou hast loved us and taken pleasure in us and has exalted us above all nations. Thou hast sanctified us by the commandments and brought us near unto thy service, O our King, and has called us by thy great and holy name. Well, why Israel? Why not India? Why not Iran? Why not Iraq? Why not Ireland? Why not some other nation? Well, we know that this choice had nothing to do in the first place with chronology. It wasn't because Israel was the eldest of the nations. In fact, if you were to go back, we'll not look there, but if you were to go and look in Genesis chapter 10, you have a table of nations, the first nations that ever formed, and Israel is not listed among those nations. Uh, So, you know, they, they weren't chosen because they were the oldest nation or the first nation on earth. They weren't chosen because they were the largest or strongest nation on earth. Uh, In fact, quite the opposite. The Bible says here in verse 7 of Deuteronomy, chapter 7, The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more than any people, more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. Nor was there any sense in which God was indebted to them. He didn't owe them anything. Deuteronomy 10, 17 says, For the Lord your God is a God of gods, a Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regardeth not person, nor taketh reward. God says, I didn't pick you out because because you were in some way indebted, or that I was indebted to you somehow. The only reason that God chose Israel and set her aside from all the other nations was to be the vehicle for his plan of salvation. That was it. You see, Christ, the Messiah, had to come through some nation. He had to come through some people. And so God, in his sovereign grace, chose this nation of Israel. Israel was that chosen people. And for that reason, they are a treasured people. Holy, chosen, treasured. I wonder, do you have some small thing that you treasure? Something that when you look at it, it brings a little smile to your face. Have you got something like that? Maybe it's a little key ring or something your children or grandchildren gave you. Maybe some sentimental item that your husband or your wife gave you. Maybe a family heirloom, some little thing that someone left behind for you. You know, that little keepsake may not be of any great monetary value to you personally, but it is priceless as far as you're concerned. That's how Israel is to God. 
She is his treasured possession. Listen to what he says. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. You know, in Exodus chapter 19, we looked at it earlier, where he says that they would be a peculiar people. Exodus chapter 19 and verses 5 and 6. Let's look at that again. Verse 5, Exodus 19. says, Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Now the idea of a treasured possession is of something mobile. In other words, it's, it's not the land that God is saying is treasured here. But it's the people who dwell in the land. The land is a fixed asset. But the people are mobile. Now, you may have noticed in that reading, in verse 5, there's a little condition. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed. And that's true. If they were to enjoy that special relationship with the Lord, they had to obey his word. They had to be, uh, they had to be obedient to his law. But it's also true that the nation has an unconditional covenant with God as his special people. And Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 8 refers to Israel. Look, listen to the term that God uses. He refers to them as the apple of his eye. The apple of his eye. You know, on Wednesday night past, we talked about families and how sometimes parents relate differently to their children as they come along. And we said, and you know, the first child, we jokingly said, was the child that God gives you to practice on. And then the last child, or usually one of the other children, is the golden child. The golden child. And sometimes you'd say of that child, well, he's the apple of his eye, of his daddy's eye. Or she's the apple of her mommy's eye. What does that mean? It means that the eye of the, of the parent is always upon that child. That that child thrills the parent's heart. And God's eye is always upon Israel. The apple of your eye is that little black bit in the middle of your eye. The pupil. And that pupil reflects what you're looking at. And what you look at is often reflected in an apple shape. And God is looking at the nation of Israel. They are his treasured people. And they're an eternal people. Look in Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. And look at verse 35. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. 
If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. Now, understand what God is saying here. He's saying as long as the sun is in the sky, as long as the moon and the stars can be seen in the, in the nighttime sky, as long as the sea keeps coming to shore and, and pulling back again, the ebb and the flow of the tide, he says, as long as man is unable to reach the full extent of the heavens and his searchings, as long as he is still short of all information on the depths of the earth, as long as these things continue to exist, Israel as a nation shall continue to exist. Friends, I, I don't know about you, but here's the thing. If you look up at the sun in the sky or the stars at night, remember this. Those, those elements in the skies are telling you that God's covenant with Israel still stands and stands forever. Last Sunday morning, as Martin was going out the door, he looked at me, he, he spoke, shook my hand, he looked at me and he, and he, and he pointed up and he says, sun's still in the sky. I says, yes, it is. What was he saying? He's saying Israel are still God's treasured people. Israel are God's eternal people. So the next time somebody suggests to you that Israel is finished, that Israel has no future in the plan of God, that Israel is cast off because of her sin in crucifying the Savior, all you need to do is look up and see if the sun is still in the sky. You see, Israel's existence as a nation is permanent, it's eternal. And as if to underscore that fact, God points us to those heavenly bodies that dominate the sky and use these physical ordinances as a signal toward the permanence and the eternality of the Jewish people. You say, well, what about their sin? Doesn't their sin rule them out? Well, let's hear what Jeremiah the prophet had to say. Jeremiah chapter 51. You see, there's those who'd say to us today, the Jews are finished. The church is Israel. And Israel's the church. God has done with the Jewish people and the Jewish nation. Why so? Because of their sin and crucifying the Savior. But look what Jeremiah says in chapter 51 and verse 5. For Israel hath not been forsaken, nor Judah of his God, of the Lord of hosts, though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel. God says, even though the land is filled with sin, you're not forsaken. Romans chapter 11, 28 and 29 make it clear. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. Now, let me tell you something. The Jewish people don't love the gospel. You get around them, particularly in Israel, they can be pretty, uh, pretty. Uh, what's, what's the word I want to use? They can be pretty hostile toward the gospel. Start witnessing to them. You'll find out right quick that they don't want to hear it. They don't want to know. 
And Paul recognizes that as concerning the gospel, they're enemies for your sakes, but as touching the election. What election? The election of their nation, the choosing of them as a, as a people. They are beloved for the Father's sake, for the gifts and callings of God. Listen to what the Bible says, friends. For the gifts and callings of God. Which gift? Which calling? The calling of the nation of Israel unto himself as a chosen vessel, as a holy people, as a treasured people. For the gifts and callings of God. We're in the New Testament now, post-crucifixion. For the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. God hasn't changed his mind about the nation of Israel. He isn't having a rethink. He isn't moving his covenant over to the Gentiles. No, no, no. They are an eternal people. God's promises to them are as good today as they were the day that he walked through the the uh, carcasses of the halved animals and made his agreement with Abraham. Now, one more thought. What's the reason? What's the reason for all of this? We've spoken of God's choosing of Israel by a divine act of elective grace for his own peculiar purposes. But what are those purposes? Look in Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49. Why did God choose the nation of Israel? Why does he persist with the Jews? You know, there are people on earth today who would be very happy if God were to destroy the Jewish people. Sadly, some of those people are into the churches. But here's the reason why the Jew exists. And here's the reason why God considers her as the apple of his eye. And here's the reason why she's chosen and treasured. Uh, and indeed, she's holy. God says in verse 6, And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. If you go forward a few pages in your Bible to chapter 60 of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 60. The Lord says, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. You see, in essence, their peculiar place in the history of the world serves to shine forth the light of salvation to all peoples, you know, both in terms of the written word and the living word. In other words, what God has, God has done what he said he would do, and he is yet to, uh, to fulfill the entirety of his promises. But here's the thing, we would have neither revelation nor salvation without the Jewish people. You, look, you're all sitting there. We're all sitting here with our Bibles in our hands. Every single page, every single word, every single letter on that Bible was inscribed by a Jewish prophet or apostle. Every single one. 
The Bible is a Jewish book. And God set his love upon these people. And God set his choice upon these people. And God treasured these people and set them apart from all other nations that they would bring light to the Gentiles. And that's what you have in your lap, what the Jewish people did for the world. Revelation and salvation. You know, our Savior was a Jew. Look in Luke chapter 2 for a moment. In a few weeks' time, we'll be thinking about the nativity and the incarnation and the coming of the Lord into the world. In Luke chapter 2, we're into a nativity text. We read about an old man by the name of Simeon who's waited to see the Messiah. And he says this once he is able to set his eyes upon him. Verse 29, Lord, now letteth thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eye hath seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. Now watch what he says. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. You know what Jesus is? He's the glory of God's people, Israel. Let's make no mistake about it, friends. The people of Israel are God's special people. Though as individuals, most of them are set in their sin, as a nation in their history, they have proven to be a light to the world. They are a holy people a chosen people, a treasured people, an eternal people. I want to close this morning with a quotation from John Adams, the second president of the United States. And he said this, I will insist the Hebrews have contributed more to civilized men than any other nation. If I was an atheist and believed in blind eternal fate, I would still believe that fate had ordained the Jews to be the most essential instrument for civilizing the nations. They are the most glorious nation that ever inhabited this earth. The Romans and their empire were but a bubble in comparison to the Jews. They have given religion to three quarters of the globe and have influenced the affairs of mankind more and more happily than any other nation, ancient or modern. Do you hear what he said? He said that they were the essential element, essential instrument, sorry, for civilizing the nations. I want you to understand that what you're seeing played out on your TV screen is not a fight about a small parcel of ground in the Middle East. It's a fight about our very civilization. And that's why Israel must win it. It's a fight for our very civilization. You understand what happened on the 7th of October when Hamas, I don't want to use the word soldiers because they're not soldiers, terrorists, came into Israel and murdered defenseless people and raped young women 
over the bodies of the dead. And actually, in some instances, cooked children alive in their own ovens. That's what took place in Israel on October the 7th. And that's why we ought to support the Israeli government in their fight against Hamas. Those people are evil. Israel is God's chosen nation. Let us love her, pray for her, support her, and care about what happens to her. Because what happens to her will ultimately affect you and I sitting here. May God bless these thoughts to your hearts this morning.